Hi everyone and welcome to the third in our series of COP26 webinars. Uh, my name is Doug Bryden, I head up the Operational Risk and Environment team here at Travis Smith. Delighted to be joined by Sarah Jane Denton who is a consultant in our team. Um, so, so far we, in our first of these sessions we looked at COP26, we kind of explored what it was and why it's so important. In our second session, we then went into a bit more detail to see how this was relevant to the transport sector. And today, as we're building up towards the actual conference itself, we're going to try and read the tea leaves a little bit and see where the kind of political debate is going and see if there's any predictions we can make, which I'm sure will be wrong. But um, so to do that, um, there is quite an important preparatory or pre-session which is called the pre-COP, which has just taken place in Milan. And I think that's a really useful kind of uh, thermometer to see how things are developing. Yep, that sounds about right. So the pre-COP is important because it's the last climate conference before yep. the main meeting in uh, Glasgow in November. Uh, as you said, it took place in Milan uh, between the 30th of September and the 2nd of October. And this one was attended by the climate and energy ministers, so people with a bit more technical knowledge than the heads of state that will be at the main yeah. COP meeting. Um, they discussed some of the key issues that will be on the agenda at COP26, so it's very much seen as setting the stage for the main conference of the parties uh, next month. And this follows on from some other meetings, so you had the G7 in June where climate yeah. was high on the agenda, um, also an informal ministerial meeting in July, uh, and some commitments came out of that meeting as well. Um, and all of these meetings are really intended to ensure that when the parties do get to Glasgow, they can really get down to business. So their positions are on the table before they arrive and they can start negotiating straight away. Yeah, no. And I think there's about what, maybe 40 to 50 countries attending. And because, as you said, it's not the big hitters, it's not the heads of state, but actually it's probably the more technical people. So I think from the previous ones, they were always quite helpful to try and get the right people in the room. Um, it's also not just kind of representatives from the state, it's also other stakeholders. Um, there are kind of representatives from the COP itself, there's kind of quite senior other members. Um, so John Kerry was there as a special envoy for the US president. Um, he's very, obviously very well known in this space. Um, Alec Sharma was there, he's an important figure heading up the uh, COP26. Um, and other stakeholders, there are the charity groups, the NGOs, there's a kind of multi-faith group, and then there's um, Youth for Climate, uh, which had Greta, um, who gave quite a kind of another, quite attention media grabbing speech. So the, these are important, and I think it is, it's gonna be interesting to see, you know, what kind of impact it has had. Um, but, you know, what kind of issues do they discuss? Yeah, so they, as I said, the aim is to t start to talk about some of the issues that are going to be on the agenda for the main COP. Yeah. Um, adaptation, something that a lot of countries are starting to talk about. And you're particularly, of course, getting the countries who, are, who know that they're going to be really badly affected by existing effects of climate change. The IPCC report that was out recently obviously uh, underlined the fact that some of those can't just be reversed, even if everyone stops emitting tomorrow. Um, so how they're going to deal with the effects of climate change yeah. is really important to those countries like India. Um, so that was very high on the agenda. Um, everyone is talking about climate finance. Yes. Uh, naturally, the aim is to mobilise this 100 billion US dollars uh, for developing countries to tackle climate change. And that was, if you remember, it was promised to them back in 2009. 
Uh, it should have been delivered by 2020 and it hasn't been as of yet and at the last count we think about 80 billion has been committed um, but that's very high on the agenda for COP as well. Uh, the final plenary session underlined some of the really key climate change messages so to remind everyone that the aim is to keep emissions below, uh, sorry, to keep the um, the temperature rise well below 1.5 degrees mm. um, and also just the to underline the need for everyone to pull their weight uh, so those that haven't made commitments are really under yeah, some pressure yeah. to do so. And that's really why these things are important because it's kind of it's to shape the negotiations, it's to shape the conference, it's to get those issues on the table and get the agenda set, um, test the water maybe, see what you know, see what the political temperature is, uh, see what the fault lines might be. And that's all very useful um, stuff, but it doesn't really decide anything in itself, so it's very much a preparation. Um, hopefully you can smooth out some points. I don't think, unfortunately, much was smoothed out, maybe the opposite this time around. Um, I know there was kind of, you know, a key discussion between some of the, well, the, the climate finance piece where it was uh, potential donor countries with the recipients and trying to kind of work out how that might progress, but again, nothing really decided. Um, but it is a useful way, but it does ramp up the pressure. So if you have your laggards or the ones who aren't really committing at the moment, it does help um, put a bit of pressure on. And maybe a bit of um, forming alliances and pacts. I know there's quite interesting discussions between the UK, Italy and the EU kind of really focusing in on Russia. I'm just thinking, you know, haven't we committed anything yet? So it's, it, is, it does have a purpose to put that pressure up. Um, but yeah, is there any more details? Anything more detail coming out of it? Yeah, so we can have a look at, at a slide now that shows some of the commitments that have been made by countries um, to date. Not all of these obviously coming directly from the pre-COP, but um, the this slide does show what's been committed mm. up to now. Hopefully some more will arise before COP26 itself. Um, the, an apples and apples comparison is pretty difficult yeah. because there's no set way in which countries have to express their commitments um, but if you look at this slide on the top right hand corner we've got quite a strong commitment from the UK 68% um, reduction on 1990 levels uh, top left we've got the US with a really strong commitment as well now uh, under President Biden obviously um, Australia down at the bottom on the left hand side has really come up for some serious criticism for failing to really improve its, its um, emissions reduction commitment uh, China's the outlier on this slide because it's chosen a different metric, um, but generally speaking there's quite a lot of enthusiasm for its commitment to peak its emissions by 2030. Can it reduce that at further and peak them by 2025? Let's see what happens in Glasgow. Yeah, and similarly there was quite a, you know, a discussion around the commitments around climate finance. And these obviously weren't all made at the time, but they're kind of done afterwards. So I think it's at the end of the 28th, or at the end of September, um, there were some interesting commitments. Again, you can't really compare them because it's not apples for apples. They have different periods, some of them annually. But um, on this next slide, we've got quite a useful um, chart which tries to decipher the commitments and to something where you can compare. I mean, the UK's number actually is quite large at 13.5 billion. It's kind of, kind of publicly stated commitment, but that's over a slightly longer period, a bit like the EU. But there are on that chart, you know, it, it, it's quite clear that the US, often criticised by not taking this seriously, is by far the biggest contributor. Um, UK has done well. Japan, again, has um, shown strong commitment. Germany, France have actually done very well with the, with the EU as well. 
and again, unfortunately, Canada and Australia who have their own, you know, they are quite energy intensive fossil fuel nations um, in their mining and extractives haven't really kind of come to the party as yet. So hopefully there'll be a bit of pressure put on them. Um, just on that, I mean, kind of just looking at the outcomes um, more generally, uh, there aren't any real outcomes. That's the point of this. It's a preparatory step. Um, that's not surprising. What's slightly, not maybe again, not unsurprising, but slightly disappointing was the tension. You know, there was, it was felt that it didn't go particularly smoothly. It might have been the fact that people were, there was a hybrid of people there. There were some people in person. There were people in remote or zooming in. And it's that kind of concept of the water cooler moment, the sidebars where some of the real discussions can take place without the glare of the kind of the whole arena. That couldn't really happen. And I think that's, we really hope that will be smoothed out for COP26 because I think that's where progress can be made. So um, a little bit disappointing probably is the way to kind of couch it. I mean, any other thoughts? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, the uh, UN chief, Antonio Guterres, said, uh, I'll quote him here, he said, either save our world or condemn humanity to a hellish future. So the, the language was very direct. Uh, the, a lot of the messaging was around stopping talking about talking and actually get down to some action. So the IPCC, in, again in its recent report, said we've got to take swift and decisive action and we very much hope that countries will turn up to COP next month with exactly that in mind. Yeah, so I think really summing up, it's useful. We've got an idea of where the kind of the discussions are going, but I think there's still a long way to go. And I think, it, unfortunately, actually, instead of taking the pressure off COP26, I feel, and maybe you might agree or disagree, it's probably put the pressure on COP26. So much now needs to be decided. Um, well, thank you very much for listening. I hope that's given you a quick insight onto how some of the developments are going. And uh, please. Uh, keep your eyes out for our next in this series of COP26 um, webinars. Thank you.